Okay, let's do this. Uh, turn to chapter uh, 28 of the book of Isaiah. Chapter 28 of the book of Isaiah. And uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> look at this guy. I love it. There. If you need a Bible, Jan, you bring Bibles up. Uh, we're going to Isaiah 28. Thanks, Jan. And um, listen, let me just set the stage for you. I gave you last week a little prophecy outline. Here comes the outline. You ready for it? Here comes the prophecy outline right here. You live in the church age right now. Jesus Christ died, rose again, ascended to heaven. Since that time, we've been living in the church age. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, in the twinkling of an eye, you know that scripture, there's going, we're going to be caught up in the clouds with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the rapture. That begins a seven-year period of tribulation. You can find that period of tribulation. We're going to study it here in about a month in uh, chapters 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. At the end of the period of the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back to the earth. We're going to talk about it tonight. Guess, he's, guess who he's going to come back with? Us, his saints. You can read about it in Revelation 19. He's going to come back with us. And he's going to rule and reign from Mount Zion, Jerusalem, for a thousand-year period. And then after that, the heavens and the earth are going to melt away, Peter tells us, and the end of the Bible says that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. There's your prophecy outline. Okay, so keep that in mind as we talk about Isaiah. If you don't have uh, my little note thing, it's up here. You can take it after you leave that gives you all the dates of the kings. You're going to need to know that here today. And here's the dates you're going to need to know tonight. Ready? Write them down or memorize them. In 722 BC, this is important, or you won't understand 18 through, or excuse me, 28 through 35 of Isaiah. You won't understand it. There's no way you will. But in 722 BC, Assyria, the dominant kingdom of the time, came into the northern kingdom, which sometimes is called Ephraim. Another name, because Ephraim was in the north, and took the northern kingdom of Israel out to be scattered forever, ten, ten tribes of uh, Israel. Now, there's a southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. Benjamin and Judah live there. And here, here's the date you got to know. Ready? In 701 BC, the Assyrians came right up to the gate to the walls and put Jerusalem under siege. It was over. The greatest military power in the world against little Jerusalem. It's over. Done deal. Assyria's going to win, and God miraculously, by an angel, kills off several, I think, what, 185 or 180, 185,000 men uh, of the Assyrians, and they are beaten back. 701 BC. Then later, you're going to need to know this a little bit. 
another kingdom rises up and overtakes Assyria, that's Babylon, and in 586 BC, Babylon finally comes and takes Judah out as exiles. Why do I say as exiles? Because they're allowed to come back and rebuild their land. That's for a different day. But today, you're going to see the heart of God. I wore the shirt on purpose. I like to go there. When I was uh, I lived in Hawaii, it was really frustrating because I would go there for the weekend for a football game, but I wouldn't be able to go into the mountains. And you could see them, they're real tempting, but not being able to go do it and hike around and goof around and you know, see all the uh, faraway places and all the distant places is really frustrating. So after about 25 years, Jan and I, this September, we're able to go to Rocky Mountain National Park and some other places and spend about nine days there. And it was amazing. It was amazing, right? But here's something very interesting. There's this place right inside of uh, the Estes Park gate that you go into. It's called Bear Lake. It's like where all the tourists like me go to hike. I mean, you go there and the parking lot, if you don't get there by 7 a.m., it's full. So they have a backup parking lot four or five miles away and that gets full, but they put you on a tram, and then they, they, they bus you into Bear Lake. And then off of Bear Lake, there's you know, just hundreds of different trails, but all the tourists go there. And that's fun. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But when you go to Colorado, what you're looking for, or a lot of people are looking for, or, or is that backcountry experience. You know what I'm talking about? That backcountry experience where you're kind of by yourself, no guides, nothing, and, you know, you hike up to the highest heights and you get way back in where there's nobody. If you look it up on some of the All Trails apps and all that stuff, one of the ratings in there is scenery and, you know, um, how difficult it is. But one of the ratings is, is this funny? No noise. If you can not hear something, it gets a higher rating. You understand what I'm saying? That's backcountry. And backcountry's amazing and beautiful, and it's special, right? Because not many people have tread there or trod there, however you want to say it. I don't know the proper English. But think about it. It's uncomfortable to get there and uncomfortable to stay there, but man, is it worth it. You see, that's Isaiah. There's a lot of people who go to the bare lakes of the Bible, although nothing's the bare lakes of the Bible. It's all awesome. It's all awesome. But Isaiah is that, like the Alps of the Old Testament. And here's the thing. Not many people walk around in it. But if you will, I guarantee you, if you keep studying it, you're going to see the majesty of the Lord in ways you've never seen it. Just like if you were in the backcountry, you'd see views you'd never seen, or a lot of people haven't seen. See, that's the thing about Isaiah. And so, what we're going to see tonight is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. You know why? Because the American church always wants to talk about grace and mercy. And by the way, I want to talk about grace and mercy. You love it and I love it, right? But see, God's also judge. 
and he's justice, and there's wrath, and there's penalties for falling below the standard that God has set, or being outside the family of God, right? And here we're going to see some of it, even with his own people. All right, look, turn to chapter 28. Now, let me just tell you this. Chapters 28 through 33 that we're going to do here very quickly, and then hopefully we're going to focus on 34 and 35. Chapters 28 through 33 are written about the days of the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem. So somebody tell me when that was. What year? That a girl. 701 B.C., And oh, by the way, listen to this. You can see those two accounts, is this weird? In chapters 36 and 37 of Isaiah. They're the same accounts that are found in 2 Kings, almost verbatim. You catching what I'm saying? So these next chapters, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, are about that siege and what God was thinking and why he was doing it. Everybody tracking? Let's go. Woe to Ephraim and Jerusalem is what mine says in the caption. Listen to this. Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim. That's the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom. What was going on with God's people in the northern kingdom? Their beauty was fading. They had verdant valleys. They're overcome with, uh uh-oh, here it comes. Wine. To those who are overcome with wine, behold, the Lord was a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail and destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with his hands, or his hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot. And the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley. Now listen, what is he saying? Is he, is he railing against alcohol? Well, he's not railing necessarily against alcohol, although the Bible tells us in the New Testament, doesn't the Bible tell us, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it actually says in the Greek, Ephesians tells us, be being filled, just constantly being filled with the Spirit. So if you're under the influence of anything other than the Spirit, you and I, we are in sin. Now, it can be alcohol. Could be something else. Could be a drug, could be something else, but there's other things we get under the influence of. Like relationships become idols, or work overtakes us in an inappropriate way, you know what I mean? Okay, so really what it is here is there that it's pride and that they've gone their own way, and one of the signals of that, or one of the symptoms of that, is that they were drunkards. They were filled with wine. In other words, they wanted to live in luxury, uh, do their own thing, have comfort and peace and their own little white picket fence and be able to travel and play golf and retire. Sound like America? Right, it does. So that's what the Lord was having problems with, not to mention the fact that they spiraled out of control downward to a place where they were sacrificing children and uh, all kinds of idols, including, you know, sexual uh, things inappropriately. So we went through that when we went through the kings. Well, anyway, this one 
is the start of six woes. This one's against Ephraim, but the reason he's telling you about Ephraim or the northern kingdom is because what God is getting at, at least here in this part of Isaiah, is that these sins impacted the southern kingdom. So he sets forth what were the sins of the northern kingdom and how did it impact the southern kingdom, get it? So he goes through it. Look over here, uh, uh, over in verse 7. But they have also erred through wine. Now he's talking about Judah. Because if you go back in verse 6, it says, For a spirit of justice to him is sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. He's just ended mostly talking about the northern kingdom. But then he shifts right here in 6, and he says, But down there, they were able to turn back the battle at the gate. Really, he did it in chapters 36 and 37. When they all got around Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, God sent an angel. But they also have erred. Listen to that. It impacted Judah, Jerusalem. I want you to see that. Listen, be careful that the uh, sins of your friends or the people you hang out with, I understand you want to be those who, like Jesus, sit in the, you know, sit there with um, those who are struggling and do it, you know, minister to them, but be careful that it doesn't rub off on you. Here it did, you see. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink, it says in verse 7. Swallowed up by wine, they err in vision. I'm, I'm skipping down through here. They stumble in judgment. Verse 8, all tables are full of vomit. No place is clean. Whom shall teach knowledge? Whom shall he teach knowledge? This is interesting. These seem to be the words of the drunken prophets and the priests, listen to this, as they ridicule Isaiah. Oh, whom will he teach knowledge to? As if they're saying... And whom will he take to understand the message or make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept. They're making fun of the way Isaiah does this stuff. You get it? You're trying to do a systematic teaching, Isaiah. You're crazy. Nobody's going to listen to you. That's kind of what the language is here. Look, even in verse 11, you, you, you stutter. And you speak, and I can't even understand you. That's what they're saying to Isaiah, verse 11. He'll speak to his people, to whom he said, this is a, listen, they're making fun of him, catch it, but it's a truth. Look what they say here. He he says, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. You see, God always wants us to operate out of position of rest, always. And he's given you the ultimate rest himself, Jesus Christ. He said, if you'll come unto me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, I'll give you rest. If you'll yoke up with me, my burden isn't heavy, it's light, Jesus says, but you got to yoke up with me. He always wants you to operate out of a position of rest. Sabbath day in the Old Testament, year of Jubilee, every seven years you let the ground rest, then in verse uh, or year 49 and 50 remember this year of jubilee and everything came back to the rightful owners the first owners if you don't know that we'll talk about that some other time he was setting that up for himself you we operate out of a position of rest we rest in jesus and 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 isaiah was getting at that and the drunken prophets and priests were making fun of him and yet they were saying a truth are you re- weary and have no rest Well, Jesus says, come to me. 
I wonder if you're weary and have no rest. Here, all the way back in the 700s B.C., he says, and this is refreshing. See, God's kingdom is restful and refreshing, even when you're in the battle. Yet they wouldn't hear the word of the Lord as to them, precept upon precept upon, or whatever, upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And look in verse 14. Therefore, hear, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. In other words, the rulers were the ones who weren't following the Lord. Do you get that? They were the ones. Because you've said we've made a covenant with death. Now, this is important, then we're going to go fast. Do you remember in 2 Kings? I hope you do. I hope you're experts in 2 Kings right now. You have to know this for this portion of Scripture. Do you know this? In Ahaz's day, King Ahaz, Isaiah uh, prophesied during Uzziah's reign, Jotham's reign, Ahaz's reign, Hezekiah's reign. And you can have my notes right over there if you want them afterwards. They're really scribbly, but I'll explain them to you. Is that a word or a phrase? Rabbit. What is it? Chicken scratch. There we go. There we go. I couldn't think of it. But listen, because you've made a covenant with death, what are they talking about here? In King Ahaz's day, I don't know if you remember this, in King Ahaz's day, Judah, the king, made a treaty with Assyria. The ones who were going to come and make all the trouble. That's a covenant of death. In Hezekiah's day, do you remember this? He tried to go down to Egypt so that he could fend off Assyria. Do you remember that? And, and if you ex- explore the Bible in the Old Testament, do you know how many times people were attracted to Egypt? Go back and think about that. They went back into Egypt. They went back into Egypt. What's that all about? Well, Egypt's always a picture of the world. And so here, Hezekiah is trying to manipulate and scheme to try and win. And that upset God. Warren Wearsby says this about faith. Faith is living life in trust in God. Listen to this without scheming. I want you to think about that. See, because faith is, yes, working, living your life, but it's leaving it to the Lord to do your battle. You know what I try to do? I try to manipulate the situation. Well, if I say this, and she says that, and I say this, and she says that, then we ought to be able to turn that fellow around. That's scheming. Of course, we say and do what the Lord Holy Spirit leads us to, but without scheming, only at the leading of the Lord. See, that's important. Okay, now you know those two. Here we are, those two treaty kind of things. Ahaz tried to make a treaty with Assyria. Hezekiah went down to Egypt to try to fight the Assyrians. God didn't go for that. How about this? It even says, for we have made lies our refuge... In verse 15, and under falsehood, we have hidden ourselves. Oh my, that's what it's come to in Judah. You see that? I wonder if that's come to us in some ways. We've made lies our refuge. We tell so many lives, we hide behind them. And under falsehood, we've hidden ourselves. That's just our normal course of living. That's what they're saying here. Now, here's a very famous portion of Scripture. I want you to read uh, uh, it uh, 
But I'm going to read the first verse here in 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. That's why if you're reading the Bible and if you're being honest, one of the things you say when you get done with the Old Testament, you say, maybe I don't understand it all, but I know this, that somebody's coming. You have to know that. And here, that's what they're saying. Woe to Ephraim and Jerusalem is the first part of 28, and then the Lord interrupts Isaiah and says, but thus says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And when we get to the New Testament, we learn and know, 1 Peter and other places, that that stone is Jesus Christ himself, upon which we build all of our life. In America, we build our life, it's so amazing, In America, we build our life, and then at the end, we try to fit Jesus in. Hey, Lord, you'll be like my, um, you know, like the icing on the cake of my life. It's like you'll be the decorations in my yard. I've built this kingdom, Lord. Aren't you so proud of me, what I've done? Now, you come and join me, and it'll just be the icing on the cake, but that's not what the Bible says. When you surrender your life to Christ, he's the foundation, and you fit in where he places you. And by the way, we're living stones being fit together. If you're mad at somebody across the aisle, I'd say, good. If they're mad at you, I'd say, good. You know why? It gives you an amazing opportunity by the Spirit of God to have those rough edges on you, not them, be rounded off so you could be fit together. Don't leave a church because somebody's mad at you or you're mad at somebody. Don't leave a church. Guess what? You'll do it at the next place. And then you'll get mad there and you'll do it at the next place. The Lord says, just settle it like a Christian should with Christian love and sincerity and truth. Okay, if I don't do this, we'll never get through this cornerstone in Zion. He goes on and on and on about it. And he goes uh, through verse 22, but look at this. Now, therefore, in 22, do not be mockers. In other words, don't say it. This isn't going to happen to me, what Isaiah is going to tell you. They're saying, don't be a mocker. Don't be one who said, this had never happened to me. What am I talking about? In other words, in other, or, or excuse me, and also it says, lest your bonds be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord God of hosts. This is what Isaiah says. I've heard from the Lord God of hosts, a destruction determined even upon the whole earth. Oh, wait a minute, time out. I thought we were talking about Judah. It's a little peewee little place right to the right of the Mediterranean Sea on my map. It's like, this, it's as big as Rhode Island. What are you talking about the whole earth? You see, Isaiah is seen near and he's seen far, just like those mountains we saw in Colorado. When you see a 14,000-foot mountain, one right behind the other, one could be 20 miles away from each other, but when you're looking at them like this, they look so close, and that's what's happening right here. You're seeing the near fulfillment. Yes, in the near, things are going to happen to you, Jerusalem, but in the far, there's coming a destruction upon the earth. What's that? It's the Great Tribulation, seven-year period. Okay, so he says, listen to the teaching of God. And this, 23 through 29, is he runs you through how people work, the way people work. And one of the things they do in verse 27 is they, they do threshing 
things, with uh, tools to do threshing. It's that way you separate the wheat from the chaff. That's just a way of saying, I'm separating the ones who are useful from the things that aren't useful. And he's going to do that in the end, folks. So, you go on to number two, the second woe. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel. That's another name for Jerusalem. It might mean Lion of God. They can't get the translation exactly. Or it might be an altar for burning. But if it's a Lion of God, it's as if the writer here, Isaiah, speaking this, God is like poking and provoking Jerusalem. Woe to this lion of God, to this lion of God, the city where David dwelt, year to year, etc. Feast comes around. Listen to this. Verse 3, I'm going to encamp against you all around. What year is that, Autumn? 701 B.C. She knew it. 701 B.C. It happened in 701 B.C. I'm going to lay siege against you with a mound. And look down here. Look down in the bottom half of verse 4. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground, and your speech shall whisper out of the dust. In other words, the lion is going to be wrecked. And that's what was happening. They were squeezing them like this, sieging them in 701 B.C. And moreover, the multitude of your foes, she's going to be like fine dust. Are you catching that? The Lord just said, you're going to be like fine dust. I'm going to get you to the point where you're going to almost be pulverized. But also the people who are doing it to you, Assyria, they're going to be pulverized. That's what it said right there. Like chaff that passes away, verse 5. Yes, it will be in an instant. Suddenly. Okay, I got to just show you. Look at 37, chapter 37, verse 36. It was suddenly. Well, it's actually, look, look, look. I got it. 37, verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians. 100, oh, I got it right. 85,000 and people rose in the morning. There were the corpses all dead. It just happened like that. Bang. Because of the Lord. So go back to verse six. You're going to be punished by the Lord of hosts. By the way, time out. The reason I told you this, wouldn't that get your attention if that was the nation? Wouldn't that get your attention? Well, it did for a little bit, but it, then they started back into, you know, disobeying God. And in 586 BC, not 701, 586, Babylonians came and took them out. It reminds me of like 9-11. I'm not saying God ran the airplanes in there. I don't, I don't know what, how that happened, but I do know this. Two or three weeks after that happened, everybody was at church, man. Everybody they just wanted to know what was going on. What's God heart in this? What, where is God in all this? What, what, what should I be doing? Everybody was in church. We had presidents sitting beside each other in church. Think about that. That's a miracle. Different political parties. And then about three weeks later, four weeks later, five weeks later, six weeks later, I don't know. Life is normal again. And we go back to obeying or ignoring God. Well, 
You can read uh, through this, but in verse 9, it talks about the blindness of disobedience. Go up into verse 13, excuse me. Verse 9 starts a section on the blindness of disobedience. By the way, it's very interesting uh, back and forth there where uh, God basically says in verse 12, give it to the illiterate guy because it won't matter. You can't read this book anyway. In other words, you're illiterate to understand the words of God. We're illiterate in some ways. But thank God for you people, see, who come and learn of the Word of God so you can go out and tell a hurting and dark world. You see it? I know what you're saying, some of you. Come on, man, get through this. Let's go. But see, these are the words of God, and you are being built up to go out into a hurting and dark world. Look at this. In verse 13, it says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. See, this is what God had against them. This is what God had against Judah. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. In other, words, in other words, look, folks, they were very religious, but they weren't close to God. We got a ton of a religious people in the United States who have no heart for God. Tons. It's so sad. We don't want to be caught there. Just because we come to a church, just because we throw some money in the box, just because we offer to give somebody a ride on Tuesday, whatever. Don't mistake busyness for closeness with the Lord. A heart for the Lord, being born again, loving his word and communing with him in the mornings and at night. Not being far from him, but being close to him because you're just trying to get under the shadow of his wings and you will get there. You want to just stay there. It's the safest and greatest place to be. So look at this in verse 15. Here's another woe. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. (laughs) They just do things in secret. And their works are in the dark. They say, hey, who sees us? Who knows us? Shall the potter be esteemed, verse 16, as the clay for all the thing made say of him, or for shall the thing made say of him who made it? He didn't make me. I mean, that's what the Lord puts up with, with atheists and all that sort of thing. And we have patience towards them, and we love our friends who are not believers. Of course, we love them, but see, that's what the Lord puts up with. A child who just says, you're nobody to me. That's what, the Lord, that's what the Lord puts up with. Well, look at this. And yet, what keeps poking through almost in every chapter is hope. And look at this in verse 17. Is it not a very little while till Lebanon shall be returned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? In that day, deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble shall increase their joy. See, this is a picture of what it's like in the kingdom of God. When will that happen? When we come back and rule and reign on the earth with Jesus Christ in the millennial reign. This is what it'll be like. Oh, by the way, the kingdom of God is in your hearts now. We're the body of Christ. This is what the Christians look like now. Now, but it's coming a day when he's going to come back, and this is what it's going to be in society. He's going to turn things right. For the terrible one, look at this, verse 20, is brought to nothing. God brings justice. Who's the terrible one? Possibly, maybe. 
the Antichrist or in the spirit of Antichrists, you know, the, the Antichrist, but the, the terrible one is brought to nothing. God's a God of justice. The scornful one is consumed, and all who watch for iniquity are cut off. You get that? People who like to dabble in iniquity, they're looking for it. They'll be cut off. Remember, this Sunday we talked about what's the, our attitude as the Christian towards our sin, to be militant against it because it's hurtful and it separates. Well, you go on down. This is interesting. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. That's verse 22. Uh, look in verse 23. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands is his midst. They will, look at this. They will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. These also who erred in spirit will come to understanding. Look at this. And those who complained will learn doctrine. I wrote on my book here, wow. And then in a minute, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what this might mean, okay? Go on to 30. What's this all about? Well, it's uh, confidence in Egypt, confidence in the world, another woe. There's six woes total. This is the fourth woe. One through 17 here is the rebuke uh, of uh, the nation's rebellion, See, what the Lord's upset about with Egypt and Assyria is they're taking counsel, but not of me. And you say, well, that's dumb. Why would they go to Assyria and make a treaty? That's dumb. Why would they go to Egypt and try to make a treaty? But we do it all the time. See, we do it. We take counsel from a lot of different places that are not the Lord. And I'll leave it at that. There's a lot of different places that we run to that are not of the Lord. And the Lord says, no, no, no. The greatest and safest place to be is me. Come to me. I'm the wonderful, comma, counselor. He, he's the counselor. Am I against counseling? No. I'm just saying, oftentimes we forget the, the Lord is our last resort when he should be our first resort is all I'm saying. And here he says, who takes counsel, Right? Judah's dependence on Egypt was not a thing that the Lord wanted. They were of the world. Now look, go down to verse 6. The burden against the beasts of the south. It's as if Isaiah is seeing these pack animals <laughs> on their way to Egypt to make the treaty. The burden against the beasts of the south, Judah, through a land of trouble, the viper and the fiery flying serpent, they're carrying riches on the backs of young donkeys there in verse 6, etc. Uh, for the Egyptians shall help in vain and no purpose. Therefore, I have called uh, her uh, Raham, which means pride, the do-nothing. You're taking pride in this alliance, but it can't help you in any way. That's what that means. There are rebellious people. Look at this. This is, boy, prophets have to do some weird things. Check this out. The Lord says, now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for uh, time to come forever and forever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the Lord. In other words, Isaiah was to make a, a, a sign and carry it around the streets. Could you imagine how popular it would be? You're a lying people. You liars. You rebellious Look at, what, look at what was happening in Judah that the Lord doesn't want to happen. Judah or anywhere else, including the United States, man, hold on to this. Be careful, kids. Be careful, me. 
about where I'm gleaning my listening of the Bible. Look at this. Look at this. Verse 10, who says to the seers don't see and to the prophets don't prophesy to us? In other words, don't tell us the right stuff. Tell us what we want to hear. Speak to us smooth things. In other words, please quit teaching about sin. We, we need more people here in the church. So I'm just going to cool it on the sin for a while and the justice so we can get more people because, you know, we got the building fund coming up and we need some money back there. Right? Let's not talk about the hard things. Let's talk about the, uh, the easy things, the things that everybody will want to hear. Well, you can go on, and he talks about um, uh, how uh, iniquity here is going to uh, be like a breach ready f- to fall. Your high wall is going to file down because you're trusting in Israel. Go down to verse 15 of 30. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. See, here comes that glimpse of hope. If you return, if you repent, there's always a way. If you'll repent, if you'll return, there's Hope and rest in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Don't, that's how we're to live. That's New Testament stuff. As much as it's up to you, the New Testament says, live in peace with all men. Don't be a busybody. It actually says that. It actually, in Peter, says busybodies and murderers are in the same category. Live a quiet life as much as it's up to you. Not that you have to not talk or speak out on issues, but you don't always have to know everything and tell everybody you do. Why not just try loving somebody radically and loving them in returning or in, 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 in seeing how that comes back in return? But you would not, it says there, uh, and you said, verse 16, nor will we flee on her- horses, therefore... Uh, You shall flee and will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Look at this. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till your left is a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. Judah is going to be brought low because of their self-reliance. How about this? But God's gracious. We should learn verse 18 here. We should memorize verse 18 If you're you're here and you're new to the Bible, memorize verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may... Man, we, we should do a sermon on this. How many times do people come to us and say, Oh man, I prayed yesterday for this major life decision and the Lord hasn't answered my prayer. I can't believe him. What's wrong with the Lord? I'm ready to give up. This is the verse for you. Ready? Therefore, the Lord will wait. Why would God wait that he may be gracious to you? And therefore, he will be exalted. Oswald Chambers says, sometimes the Lord just wants to trust you with his silence. That he could be gracious to you and be exalted. Why? He'll be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed, happy are all those who wait for him. You don't need to know everything all the time, you busybodies and me, my busybody self. 
We, we don't. Sometimes the Lord just wants you to step out and wait on him. And me too, right? I'm impatient now. If I pray, I want to, come on, Lord, I just prayed 35 minutes ago. Well, you can read this. God is gracious, and you could go down here. It's beautiful. You read this. It'll give you a, he says in here, if you're a follower of God, he'll give you an intense desire to be pure in all ways. Go down to verse 27. He says there's going to be retribution on Assyria, 27, 28. And by the way, look in verse 28. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck. It sifts the nation. And there's bridle in the jaws of the uh, people. You see that? And you could just keep on going. And it says here for, in verse 33 that the trash heap is reserved, the trash heap is reserved for the king of Assyria. That trash heap that was called the Valley of Himnon, it's where they sacrificed children. Even the kings of Judah did it. And they made it the trash heap, and it was a living hell. And that's where they say that king of Assyria is going to go. See that? Well, go on to 31. There's a folly of not trusting God. There's here in verses 1 through 9, the Lord defends Jerusalem. Uh, or, yeah, the Lord defends. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. You should know this from your study of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 16, it, uh, the law says, don't trust in horses or chariots, kingdom people. <laughs> you say, yeah, I know. Really? There, you should be involved in politics, but if you're putting your hope in politics, I don't care if you're red or blue or green party, I don't care. You're doing this. Should we be involved in politics? Yes. Should we be people who are in, integral in the process? Yes, if the Lord's calling you to that. But you can't put your trust there. You must put your trust in the Lord. Right? Don't rely on horses and chariots, the backing of a big military might. Yes, I'm glad I'm an American. Praise the Lord I was born here. It was a great country. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're putting your trust in there, you're in trouble, and so am I. And he goes through here, God will deliver Jerusalem in verse 4 all the way to the end. God's going to deliver Jerusalem, and you can once again read how Assyria, verse 8, is going to fall by a sword not of man, and that was the angel's sword. It's in chapter 37, verse 36. It's also found in 2 Kings, okay? All right, here in 32. Oh, now we get into it, man. Look at this. But behold, there will be a, a king, mark that, a king will reign in righteousness. Most people believe this is in the near of Isaiah, of the prophecy, in the near fulfillment is Hezekiah. Most people believe that. But we know, don't we? Jeremiah 23, 5, write that down. What is it, Jan? When the, Jesus is called Jehovah, of righteousness? Sidkenu. Sidkenu. And you find that in Jeremiah 23.5. Jeremiah 23.5. I just called on Jan because they just did the names of the Lord, right? Jehovah Sidkenu. He, he, he is uh, uh, the one of uh, righteousness. 
Well, and Prince will rule with justice. They're going to have um, uh, Hezekiah had all these helpers. You could go to 2 Kings 19.2. And when you're reading 2 Kings 19.2, listen to this. You're like, why do they spell out all these helpers? I don't know, but right here they refer to them. Guess who helps the Lord in a sense? We don't help him with salvation. He did all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not being blasphemous. But he chooses to use us. We're a holy priesthood, the Bible tells us in Peter. A holy nation. Why, why us? I don't know. But he does. Living stones being fit together, he tells us. We're part of the Lord's plan. He uses us to help build his kingdom. I mean, he does all the building, but he uses us. Well, you could read through this and a cover from the tempest. What happens in God's kingdom? Well, the Lord is our cover from the tempest. He hides us from the wind. That's before. Rivers of water sprout up in dry places. You know this from the book of John. Out of you are going to flow living waters, right? Wherever we find the Lord, this is what we find happening. We find life. Do you catch that? There's life flowing out of us. People are uh, looking at us and seeing the fruit in our life. And then they say, they don't say this, but this is what they say. They look, and maybe they're put off at the beginning. Remember, we talked about that. But someday they're going to come to you. But some people just want to be around you. Why? To gather the fruit and taste of it. What is it? Man, it's so pleasant. The Lord is there with you. Well, you could keep going. This is a picture of the reign of righteousness. Look in verse 5. The foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful. For the foolish person will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness. You catching this? To utter arrogance, the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he'll cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. Also, the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plan to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand in the kingdom of God. Look at this. Right now, we look at people, and we say, why does that fool prosper? Or why doesn't that amazingly Smart, why is that person not prospering? See, here's what he said. In the kingdom of God, everything's just going to be set right. Set right. That's what he says there. But he says also, before the king comes, the people have to prepare themselves. Look up in verse 9 here. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a year and some days, you're going to be troubled, you complacent women. For the, I don't think this is a railing against women, by the way. I think this is the state of what it was like in Judah, and they were complacent. Tremble, you, those who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent ones. That's, what we, that's the message we need right now. Do you know that? Do you know everybody just thinking, okay, COVID, get back to normal, get my paychecks going again, get the mortgage back in there. And those are all legitimate and things that we should be thinking about, but that's all we're thinking about in America. And, and here, I think what the Lord is saying to us is, watch it. I've used this to make you uncomfortable in ways that can help you. And if you go back to the comfort and ease that you were in, you're going to miss everything that I've done here. I think, I think the Lord's saying some of that stuff. He's saying it here. 
Well, because uh, 14, the palaces will be forsaken. In other words, the Lord's going to use through the Assyrian invasion to wake people up by tough economic times. Oh my goodness. That's now. He's using tough economic times. I don't know if the Lord, I don't pretend to know all the things that the Lord does, but in the middle of these times, he's saying, wake up. Even this week in First Peter, do you remember? He tells us to be sober. In other words, be alert. Don't be sleepy here in this time. Be alert. Seize the opportunities for Christ. Somebody answer that. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just kidding around. That's okay. That's just five bucks for the Jerusalem fund. We're closer. Okay, until verse 15, the Spirit is poured upon, or poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. There it is, God's kingdom. Then, look at this, justice will dwell in the wilderness. Righteous will remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance. Doesn't that sound great? We should be in a cabin somewhere, it sounds so great. Peaceful habitation, but you see, that's what it's going to be like in the thousand-year reign. That's what he's telling you, that this is what the kingdom's like. You're getting flashes of it through Isaiah. He's going back to the, what's happening at his time, and then he's giving you what's going to happen in the future. I'm trying to really hurry here. Here's another woe. This is to the Assyrians. You're going to be in deep distress, you who plunder, though you have not been plundered. You see that? Look in verse 2, O Lord, be gracious to us. This is a prayer before the battle with Assyria or before the siege. He's saying, be gracious to us. We've waited for you. And you could read all the way up to verse 9. It's a prayer before the battle or before the siege. Then, impending judgment on Zion. And the Lord's going to raise up because they've allowed their neighbors to impact their life. And they've disobeyed God. And then 14 through uh, 16 is uh, fearful sinners versus blessed saints. But now I'm trying to get you to here. I'm trying to get you here. This is so beautiful, you're not going to believe it. This is the land of the majestic king. That's what it says in my Bible. Look at this. But verse 17. Your eyes will see the, not a, the king this is important. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. What are we talking about? Can you turn with me? You hang in there. If you want to be blown away, watch this. This is written 700 years before Christ came, folks. The Lord could come back any time, right? Seven-year period of tribulation. Then he's going to come back and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And when he comes back, do you know what Romans tells us? That all Jerusalem will be saved. Or all Israel, sorry, all Israel will be saved. Remember this? Remember this? Look at this. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. What is he talking about? Well, turn to Zechariah. Go to ver or chapter 12. Look at verse 10. You, you can see if you read from 3, chapter 12, verse 3, all the way. I'm not going to do it, but I want you to see verse 10. 
and I will pour on the house of David. You know, when you, the, the pastor says, go to Zechariah, it really tests your Bible knowledge. And you got to look up the table of contents. I know I had to do the same. And I'll pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. Oh man, this is so awesome. And supplications, then they will look, look at this, one makes me want to cry. Then they will look on me whom they pierced, fulfilling Romans eleven twenty six. They're going to look on me who they're pierced. They're going to recognize in Jesus' second coming with nail pierced hand, they're going to recognize, oh my goodness, he was the Messiah. They'll look on me with pierced hands. Yes, they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And that day they're going to be great mourning in Jerusalem, etc. They're going to see the beauty of the Lord. They're going to see all that he's done. See, how do you see the beauty of the Lord? You look to the cross, strangely enough. You look to the cross. They're going to see his scars and they're going to recognize him as the messiah and we have your eyes will see the the king the king i want you to notice that in his beauty and you could keep on reading verse 18 says your heart will meditate on terror yes if you're an unbeliever in the second coming right why what happens in the second coming what does he do he's going to judge the nations at the second coming Matthew 25, he judges the nations. There's several things he do. Sheep and goats, remember that? He's going to judge when he comes back. Okay, and you could keep reading on and on and on. Verse 21, though, but there the majestic Lord will be for us. A place of broad rivers. I'm going to test you again. Go back to Zechariah. I got to do this. Go back. See, if you flipped it out, I'm going to really test you because you might not know where that is. But go to 14 now. You know, Israel doesn't really, they have wadis, streams, but they don't really have rivers, folks. They got the Jordan River, one between Sea of Galilee, but watch this, watch this. Do you know this? Uh, look up in verse 3. Then the, this is when the Lord comes back, Zechariah, the day of the Lord. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Where's his feet going to hit? His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Oh, my. Which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. Did you know that? When he comes back, this Mount of Olives is going to be split in two. Why was it going to be split in two? From east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through the mountain valley, etc., etc. Come down here. Verse 8, and in that day shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. How about that? Half of them toward the eastern sea, that's the Dead Sea. (laughs) There's going to be a river. There's going to be a split in the mountain. Jesus is going to come back, river towards the Dead Sea. Look at this. And half of them toward the Western Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. There's going to be a river flowing right through the Mount of Olives from the Mediterranean Sea to the Dead Sea. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't built on a river, but there's going to be, in verse 21 of chapter 33, a broad river and streams in which no gallery with oars will sail. In other words, nobody can threaten them there. The, uh, here's what I was trying to do. For the Lord is our judge. Praise the Lord that he's our judge. You know why I say that? It makes life worth living. It makes a reason for life. If there was no judge, there's no reason. 
in a sense. Do you get what I'm saying there? There's a purpose to life. To be under the shadow of his wings, to be in his grace. He's a judge, praise the Lord. He's our lawgiver. What's our law? To love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then look at this, I, look at this. It went from the Lord is a king to the Lord is the king to the Lord is our king. That's what's happening in the coming years. The Lord is going to be their king and our king. And you could read the rest of that. Now look at this, chapter 34. You're just going to have to hang in. Al's cone zone's going to have to wait. <laughs> but you've got to know this. Come near, you nations, to hear coming judgment, the wrath. The indignation of the Lord, let the earth hear and all that is in it. For the indignation, verse 2, of the Lord is against all the nations, not just Israel or not just Judah. You catching that? This is one of those far fulfillments. 34 and 35 is prophecy. And his fury against all the armies, he's utterly destroyed them. He's given them over to the slaughter, and their slain shall be thrown out. Stench shall rise from the corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. You know that. We read it. Uh, in, uh, well, if I read ahead. Sorry. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. And the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. You can go read that right there. Where, what part of Revelation does Revelation 6 through 19 fall in? The tribulation period. You want me to give you the outline of uh, Revelation? Okay. Jesus uh, as he is now, chapter 1. The churches that he's writing the letters to, chapters 2 and 3, which include church history. Uh, chapters 4 and 5 is the church in heaven. Chapter 6 through 19 it's the tribulation period with the end in the in middle of 19 being Jesus' second coming. And then the last uh, part of uh, Revelation there is the new heavens and the new earth. You just studied Revelation. But the point is, this is right there in the tribulation in Revelation 6. He's giving us judgment on the nation. When Jesus comes back at the second coming with us, he's going to judge the nations. That's one of the things he's going to do. And you can read about God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world in these judgments. And one of them, the sixth seal judgment, is that the heavens are going to be rolled up like a scroll. Don't ask me what that's going to look like. And indeed, it's uh, going to come down on Edom. This is kind of the near fulfillment here. That means red. That was the, uh, the place of Esau. Remember Esau, which represent all the enemies of God. So he's saying Edom, but he means all the enemies of God here. On the people of my curse of judgment, the sword of, look at this, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. You could read about that in Revelation 14, 20. I'm going fast. It's made overflowing with that, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidney. Here it is. Some people believe, listen to this, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. And later, look at this, later, in Isaiah, some people believe that God's campaign called Armageddon, which you think is in the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, starts in Basra. 
So here's what we know about Jesus' second coming. By the way, there's something later. Uh, He's going to come to Basra. That's, look at this, south of the Dead Sea and east, about 20 to 25 miles. We know his feet are going to be on the Mount of Olives at some point, and there's going to be a, a split in two in a river. We talked about that, right? And then in a different part of the Bible, we know that he's going to travel up to this valley called Megiddo, Armageddon. And he's going to just take care of his enemies with his word. What's the order of all of that? I don't know. I just know it says it in the scriptures. And it know it's at the time when he comes back. Okay, we're running. The, the, the IT guys are getting a little nervous back there. But look at this. It's the day of the Lord's vengeance. Its streams will be turned into pitch. Something bad's going to happen during the tribulation where the streams are going to be turned into bubbling oil. They're going to blow up oil or something. That's pitch. That's tar. And it won't be quenched night or day, verse 10. There's going to be pelicans and porcupines. That's just telling you that it's going to be so desolate that wild animals are going to be running free. Thorns are going to come up in its places. It's going to be a habitation of jackals. By the way, I've got this fantastic information about the night creature, but we'll talk about that later because we don't have a lot of time. But here's what I want you to see too in 16. Search from the, look, look what Isaiah says. Is this a confident prophet? Check this out. Is this a confident prophet? Search from the book of the Lord and read, not one of these shall fail. (laughs) Not one shall lack her mate, for my mouth has commanded it and his spirit has gathered them. He cast the lot for them and his hand has divided it among them with a measuring line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. They'll dwell in it. Now look, now indignation in chapter 34, the tribulation future glory of Zion in chapter 35, the millennial kingdom. You ready? And we're done. We'll be just at least 45 more minutes. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice in the bloom ro- blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. Excellence of Carmel and Sharon. He's talking about different places of Israel that are going to be beautiful. And then here, here's the point. Look at this. This is what we're after, folks. And they're going to see the glory of the Lord, the substance, as much as we can handle, and the excellency of our God. That In his kingdom, what happens? Weak hands get strengthened. Feeble knees are made firm. Who can say an amen to all this? Those who are fearful-hearted become strong. God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He'll come, look at this, and save you. And I believe that means, uh, or I believe what he's talking about right right there, look at this, look at this, is that during the seven-year period of tribulation, when you talk about it, here's one of the first questions everybody asks. Will people be able to get saved? There it is! He He will! Of course, if you take the mark, you're going to get your head cut off, but I believe some of them will escape and be protected, some of the Gentiles. But you also know that 144,000 Jewish people are going to be sealed and saved, and they're going to come into the millennial kingdom with mortal bodies. We're going to have immortal bodies. You catching this? We're going to have our resurrected, glorified body. They're going to come into the kingdom with their mortal bodies, which means they're going to be able to procreate. 
in the millennial kingdom. Now, why do I say that? Why am I talking about that? Because you remember what happens at the end of the millennial kingdom? Or excuse me. <laughs> or Yes, the millennial kingdom. You, you remember what happens at the end of the millennial kingdom? What happens? Satan's let loose. Why? Here's why I think. Because love always asks for choice. There's always choice in love. There's this part, you know, if you're married in here, you, you don't say this every morning, but you are saying this every morning. I still choose you. Uh, right? And if you were forcing them to stay with you, wouldn't be real love, would it? So I've told you all of that because out of the tribulation is going to come people who are saved. You catch that? He's going to come and save you, even in the midst of the tribulation, although don't wait then. It's going to be way more difficult, way more difficult. The Bible says that he's going to send a strong delusion, and boom, if you don't take the mark. Got it? All right, I know, it's late. But the ears of the deaf are going to be stopped, and if you went back to Matthew eleven four six, 6 Jesus told John the Baptist, these words that I'm going to read you now are true of Jesus. Can you imagine what John the Baptist must have thought when Jesus said that? He's claiming he's the Messiah. And the ears of the deaf will be stopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Should, that, that would be a great devotional. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs, and the habitation of jackals, they're going to be grass with reeds. And here's the part I've been trying to get you to all night. I'm so sorry. If you're a young person and you're bored, I'm sorry. If you're an old person and you're bored, I'm sorry. But here it comes. It's so amazing. You don't want to miss this. There's going to be a highway there and a road. You see, when you're walking with the Lord, man, it's a journey. And it's called the highway of holiness. Do you remember back in Isaiah 19, it actually says that Assyria is going to be on the road and Egypt's actually going to be on the road, the highway. By the way, the way in which they say this in Hebrew is not a highway that's on the ground. It's above the ground. It's like an express tram. You get it? It's like the monorail of Disneyland. And the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. We're poor in spirit, folks. We're bankrupt without the Lord. We're just fools for Christ. Corey Ten Boom would remind us from the scriptures. Shall not go astray. No lion will be there, nor shall any ravenous beast. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. That's the path we're walking towards and the ransomed of the Lord. That's related to the word goel. Anybody know goel? You should know goel. That's King's, kinsman redeemer. Where's that? What book? Good. Ruth. And come to Zion with singing, with ever. Can you believe this? You know, sometimes we walk in here. We're late. It's okay. I don't mind if you're late. But we're late. You know, we're just cavalier. Okay. Put up some more words. Let's get through the music. What are we going to be doing in the kingdom of heaven? Singing. 
That's what we're going to be doing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. Why will we be singing? Because we have everlasting joy on our heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What are you going to be doing in the heavenly kingdom? There it is. You're going to be assigned something that you are apt to do, whatever that is. But you'll be singing, and you'll be full of joy. All right, I'm going to pray. If you have any questions, please come up after. I'm sorry it took so long. I'm bound and determined to get you through the book of Isaiah. This is a long time, I know, and I'm sorry. But I want you to know something. This is just the beginning of your search through the book of Isaiah. This is only the beginning. You went with me through Bear Lake today. But see, what I want you to do is I want you to go in the back country. I want you to go where people don't go. And see the glory of the Lord. That's what Isaiah is about. The glory of the Lord. Which is our strength, right? All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this night. And uh, Lord, we thank you that your word is so perfect and true. We thank you for this grand and glorious book. Lord, help us to learn it and to grow in it and to appreciate it and to feed on it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it anchors us in you and gives us a place to go. Always where there's a solid foundation, Lord. This is it. Lord, this is so majestic seeing you in this way. The unfolding of your plan for all of eternity. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys and have a great week in the Lord.